1: podcast for the biggest storylines results and controversies from the tennis world today is Wednesday March 16th on today's show I want to recap all of the men's and women's singles action that took place yesterday at Indian Wells yes there were only three three set matches on the day still plenty of takeaways for us tennis fans to enjoy plenty for me to discuss here on today's show of course I'll start with Iga Sviantek she's dropped the first set in all three of her matches at Indian Wells nevertheless continues to find ways to advance, and yesterday it was a three-set victory over Angelique Kerber that now sees Sviantec reach the quarterfinals of this event according to the tennis abstract singles forecast. Sviantec is your favorite at this point of the tournament. You can understand why she would be given the immense amounts of success she has had here on court in 2022, but of course, if she continues to struggle, will she continue to to be able to get away with it? That's a question I want to ponder here on today's show. I also, of course, want to talk, as we're a glass half full sort of program, want to talk about how she's managed to overcome those struggles while I, I continue to be impressed with the progress in Shviontech's game, but of course she wasn't the only one to play an impressive battle on day seven of this tournament. Certainly, you may not have seen this match, particularly if you live on the East Coast, as it was the latest match scheduled at Indian Wells' final match to finish on the day, but what a fantastic battle between Veronica Kudermatova and Marketa Van Kudermatova ultimately earning a three-set win over last year's Olympic silver medalist. I don't know what to do with Veronica Kudermatova. The 24-year-old has certainly had moments here and there. She's played pretty sound tennis since the tour resumed in August of 2020. And yet, what is Veronica Kudermatova's upside? I wanna dive deeper into the stats behind her success and ponder that question here on today's show. Of course, we're gonna touch on all of those round of 16 matches as we got to see all eight of them on the women's singles side yesterday. But of course, on the men's side, the highlight match of the day, certainly young American. Is he still young? I think 24 is still young. It's younger than me, but, uh, you know, Taylor Fritz, I don't know why I continue to ponder the age. Taylor Fritz earning a three-set victory, 7-6 in the third yesterday over Jaume Munar, and... You know, that was a physical match. And Of course, Fritz last season reaching, I believe, the semifinals, if memory serves me correct, of Indian Wells now has a chance to reach the quarterfinals once again, survives that match, was a physical affair. I want to talk about why the patience we see from Fritz, along with all the other weapons, but the patience most importantly is perhaps the most glaring characteristic i have taken away from his recent performances and part of the big reason in my opinion he has continued to have the success he has had here not only in 2022 but obviously at the end of last season as well but you know you look beyond Taylor Fritz you look beyond the Americans as of course we've talked a lot about the Americans here on this show as it relates to Indian Wells in particular the American men because the American men in fairness have played extraordinarily well and i do think they have been one of the if not perhaps the biggest takeaway of the tournament so far uh but of course you look uh for uh beyond that I, again it's shaping up to be a really fun home stretch of this Indian Wells on the men's side as a guest earlier this week David Kane framed it welcome to the WTA vacation of the ATP tour it's you know a lot of parody across the board of course the favorite is still Rafa let's not be, you know let's not get carried away here especially given the fact Rafa's undefeated at this point of the tournament and at this point of the season and you look you know number one seed Daniel Medvedev knocked off Zverev he's been knocked off Tsitsipas he's been knocked off certainly of the next gen faces those are the three leaders in the clubhouse all of them out of this tournament now you've still got Carlos Alcaraz of course in the mix like guy almost who's in the top 25 club one of just 13 players you can say that about over the last 52 weeks top 25 in both hold and break percentage. He looked outstanding against Medvedev. He had a day off coming into today's round of 16 against Carlos Alcaraz. That's going to be a fantastic match, but, you know, Brooksby B. Nori, that's going to be really fun. And we know about the parody in the top half of the draw. You look at how the bottom half is now shaping up, and, you know, the rise of Miomir Kecmanovic. Want to talk about that a bit. The steadiness of Andre Rublev, who's now won 11 consecutive matches. Isner continues to serve so well. There's a lot, to to discuss here on today's show. I want to try to get to as much of it as I can, of course. The reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and our Crack Rackets Patreon family. I do want to point out... I try not to do this because I don't want to get in my own head, but I always appreciate when any of you listeners leave a comment, whether it be a positive comment, you know, your fandom for this show, your uh, passion, your shared passion, I should say, for the game, but even the constructive criticism some of you leave on the Apple reviews or when you tweet at us things you'd like to hear us incorporate or things you'd like to hear me do differently. I know if I eat too closely to the recording of a show, I will have Intolerable acid reflex and I promise I'm gonna do that last one listener pointed it out. It was funny I think the the comment was this show has a lot of potential But there are some little things like the burps and the hiccups and I was like and he goes despite all of that It has potential. I was like if you still see the potential Despite all of that I can clean up some of the all of that moving forward I'm immensely grateful for all the feedback we get again both positive and even constructive even the negative stuff I like as fuel. But from all of you listeners, please continue to do so. It helps us with the machines that be the algorithms. Obviously, we want to continue to grow this show. We want to continue to be able to do it for all of you listeners as frequently as possible. You ignore the blip over the past 10 days. Again, we are rocking and rolling here on all cylinders moving forward at Cracked Rackets. All of that said, again, a huge shout out to all of you listeners, our Crack Rackets Patreon family, for making these podcasts possible. Of course, a huge shout out to the lifeblood of this show our friends over at Tennis Point. And I imagine a lot of you listeners are playing tennis. And we're now at that point of the year, mid-March, depending on where you live in the United States. But, you know, even in Michigan at this point of the season, you are wondering to yourself, is it time to move outdoors? Am I going to be able to play some outdoor tennis here in the late afternoon? The answer to that question is yes. And look, if you're moving from indoors to outdoors, it's time to upgrade the equipment. Maybe you need the tighter shoes. Maybe you need, uh, excuse me, the tighter strings. Maybe you need a new set of shoes. Maybe you put in some hard work in the gym this off season and you've either gone up or down a size in clothing, whatever it may be, all of those things are available with our friends at Tennis Point. You go to tennis-point.com right now, use our promo code CR15 upon your purchase. Not only will you let them know we sent you there. You'll get free, uh, excuse me, 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. I was so excited I forgot the order. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Folks, it's very simple. Tennis-point.com for all of your tennis equipment needs. Tennis-point.com, that promo code is CR15. With all that said, There's a healthy synopsis of the show coming up here for all of you listeners, but let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about what I'm calling Day 7 at Indian Wells. That doesn't include the days where it was strictly qualifying action. Of course, for us hardcore fans, that's when the tournament truly begins, but, you know, this is the seventh day of main draw play. Thus, I will refer to Tuesday as Day 7 of the event. You look uh, at, again the action we have unfolding here Uh, over the past day. Women's round of 16 action played all eight matches. We had the back half of the men's round of 32. I have to start with that Iga Shviontech performance. You look for Svantec 4-6, 6-2, 6-3. She manages to survive against Angelique Kerber. And, you know, it's worth mentioning, how many years ago? Was it 2019? I know that feels like a lifetime ago, but 2019, where she played Andrescu, I believe it was, in the final of this event. Or was that in the final of Miami? That might have been the final of Miami. The point being, you know, for Angelique Kerber... Let's not forget how exceptional she has been since the start, really, of the grass court season last year. You look for Kerber, who is very on and off, very streaky as she has been throughout the course of her career relative to, you know, the exceptional results. She's always been very good, but, you know, it was, what, every odd season for, like, five years on and off that she won a grand slam or didn't you look for her though since the start of the grass court season Kerber's played really good ball whether it was the title she won in Bad Hamburg semifinals Wimbledon semifinals Cincinnati round of 16 U.S. Open quarterfinals Indian Wells last year certainly a disappointing loss for her first round to Kaya Kanepi at the Australian Open certainly excuse me a three-set loss to Jill Teichman in Doha Three set loss to one of the millions of top 20 players on the WTA2, or Teichman, I think qualifies on that list. I don't think either of those losses are particularly bad. She was playing some of her best ball here in Indian Wells, whether it was, again, the two-in-one victory over Kina in the round of 32. And then the first set she played against Iga Sviantek, she played some extraordinary tennis. She just absorbed the heavy topspin of Iga Sviantek, used that ball to, again, just drive her own shot. And, you know, she could flatten out her ground strokes because Sviantek was providing her all the topspin she could need in the world. And Kerber was beating Sviantek to the spot. Now, Sviantek was extraordinarily patient throughout the course of that first set willing to go you know 10 15 shots in the rally until she knew she got the short ball from Kerber that she could attack because Kerber's too quick and she anticipates too well and if she beats you to the spot she's going to take that ball early on the line and then you're in a life of pain and I think the patience Sviantek showed in that first set paid dividends particularly physically in set two and towards the end of set number three but credit to Angelique Kerber who in particular you know Svantec loves to hit that heavy topspin inside out forehand to get her opponent stretched in the outside corner, open up the inside in forehand or the down the line backhand, which in my opinion are her two best finishing shots from the baseline. Kerber took that ball away by taking either the inside out forehand or a cross-court backhand from Shiantec down the line with her lefty forehand and she was striking that ball. So, I mean, I think she had seven winners with that shot in particular, according to my numbers from watching the first set. I may be a little bit off there, but that's how good she was taking that ball early on the rise in the first set. And that's an extraordinarily difficult ball to hit, particularly on these Indian Wells courts where, yeah, even if... Iga Sviantek leaves the ball short. That ball is on Kerber's shoulder by the time it gets to her on the baseline. So to short hop that ball, take it on the rise as well as she did to flatten that shot out. She played the better first set. She out executed Sviantek. But then throughout the course of the match, again, Iga's patience paid dividends. And look, she did not serve well. In this match against Angelique Kerber She was broken 8 times in what? You look overall in the match 9 plus 8 is 17 There were 27 service games She was broken in 8 of them it's not great, Bob. And she was down 3-1, break of serve, in that third set. But the good news for her, you know, 6 of 15 on her own break point chances. And, you know, again, was able to convert down the home stretch of this match and wins, you know, 40% of her first server turn points, 52% of her second serve turn points. She just kept attacking. She was never deterred by the scoreboard deficit and just... The patience she showed, because again, she does have the weapons eventually to flatten out a ball and go down the line and beat it to the spot, and she is a comfortable volleyer and. Her ability to slide in and out of shots on hard courts on both the forehand and backhand wings, that sort of combination of power, fluidity, and action on the ball is just not something we're accustomed to seeing quite frequently from any player on the WTA Tour, or any player on the men's Tour either. Just how complete of a game that Svantec's able to bring on the court, match in, you know, the, the variety of things she can do, that's what ultimately won her this match the physicality of her ball how heavy it was that kerber had to constantly be swinging at that shoulder and you know trying to take that ball early on the rise and be the one going down the line and if you go down the line you know my my coach growing up here i always i apologize for the personal anecdotes but this is how it was explained to me so this is how i want to try to explain it to you listeners as well if you're playing cross court you know with someone and you're going down the line And you go down the line you would better make it right you'd better go big because if not you're leaving all the space all of the momentum to your opponent who you know is again hitting the ball to the open space he's gonna go cross court and now you're playing on the run meanwhile he's got this big target to play his next ball to we call it the cross-court mentality the point is if you go down the line and miss you're leaving all the space vulnerable on the court right for that cross-court backhand and Whether it was, in this case, the cross-court forehand for Sviantec, yeah, there were times when the extreme nature of her backswing led to her producing errors and shanking balls that went a little long or a little wide, but she hit that on-the-run cross-court forehand extraordinarily well with great depth. And again, the action on her ball, it's just jumping on top of Kerber, and then all of a sudden she has a short ball that she can step into. And whether it's either backhand cross, backhand line, in particular, you know, when she can go inside in or inside out, hitting forehands on that ad side of the court, I think, is where she's most comfortable. She's just, it's the complete package. now. She did not serve well, and the second serve, particularly on these Indian Wells courts, are going to sit up, and Kerber did a great job attacking her return of serve as well. Again, Kerber played a really good match here from start to finish. Iga just out-physicaled her down the stretch, It was, you know, you look for Iga here across the board here. I mentioned it. She loses first sets in all three of her first matches, but against Clara Towson, it was a completely different story. Towson was just striking the ball so well, and yet Iga made that match physical, extended Towson to corners, ultimately made more first serves, ultimately wins the match. Against Kalanina, Kalanina, same deal, was just on fire in that first set. Iga settled down, continued to stick with her game plan, stick with her physicality. She ultimately wins the match 0-1 in the next two, sets it's the steadiness of Iga Swiatek. she's not panicking she's not flipping the game plan she's sticking to her guns and that's why when you look for Iga Swiatek, and I know this is a number I've mentioned repeatedly here over the course of the past couple of weeks she's 62 and 21 since the tour resumed back in August of 2020 which means over a two season stretch of time because now it has been essentially two seasons since the tour resume play post the beginning of this COVID pandemic she has won 75% of her matches. That's a top 10 player. You know, when you're winning over 70% of your matches, you're gonna to continue to rise. When you're winning over 75% of your matches, you are going to, as she has, rise all the way to number three in the world, which will be a new career high ranking for her uh, when play begins in Miami. and. You look for Iga Sviantek, it's how consistent her success is, regardless of the level of opponent. So she's 27-3 and 3 against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She dominates them. I'm not even going to, I'm going to ignore those stats. Against any opponent ranked outside the top 20, though, that means, you know, you can be ranked 21, 33, and we talk about it all the time. There are 45 top 20 players right now on the WTA tour. So the Matovas of the world, the Vondrusovas of the world, who are technically top 20 players, right, certainly show that level. They're not technically top 20 players. They're technically not top 20 players, but display the level of a top 20 player, match in, match out. Iga Svantec's 15-11 against them over this stretch of time. She's winning over 80% of her matches against players outside the top 20. If you don't have an elite weapon, if you don't have elite fitness, if you don't can't do something elite, you're just not going to be in the ballgame with Svantec. Of course, you look beyond that, 12-10 against top 20 opponents. Winning 55% of her matches, the only noticeable dip is really her return percentage, which goes uh, win percentage, which goes from 48.5 to 43.9. However, that number bounces back against top 10 opponents, where she's 8 and 5 and winning 45% of her, ret- uh, of her return points. Her serving stats p- uh, stay fairly constant. You know, she wins 66.7% of her first serve points against opponents ranked outside the top 20. She wins 68.1% of her first serve points against top 20 opponents not a big disparity there again that's a sample size thing that tells me the first serve is equally effective against everyone Even the forehand, which I think early on was susceptible to extreme pace, the forehand return has gotten better. Her forehand in rallies has gotten better. Her ability to absorb, redirect, play that ball on the run, not be forced to hit the on the stretch slice, but actually swing through the ball and generate depth. She just continues to get a little bit better at everything. And that's why it was not a surprise to see Iga Svantec earn another three-set victory. uh, Kerber, excuse me, as she was playing exceptional tennis in the first set. But I didn't, it, it never felt sustainable. It felt like she was playing so well. And if she was going to play that well, you know what? Congrats. Shriantek deserves to lose because Kerber is striking the ball brilliantly. She looked like a top five player on that day. It's really hard to sustain a top five level for the course of two and a half hours, and Iga can, and a lot of other opponents can't, and that's why she is where she is. Iga Swiatek into the quarterfinals here at Indian Wells. You look at the tennis abstract single forecast again. She's got a 30.2% chance to win amongst the final eight field. That's the highest of the group. After that, you've got Sakari 18.8, Halep 18.6, Bedosa 16.2 before a significant drop off to the rest of the field. That's a pretty comfortable favorite. I'm not going to say prohibitive favorite, but that is a comfortable favorite for Iga Świątek, who it always does feel worth reminding is still just 20 uh, years old. You know, doesn't turn 21 until the end of May. We're all caught up in the Carlos Alcaraz is on path to be elite, right? I joked about this yesterday. Carlos Alcaraz isn't the GOAT, but he isn't not the GOAT either. You know, he's still potentially in play. Iga Świątek's not the GOAT. But I would argue she's also not not the GOAT right now either. She's on the pathway. She hasn't been thrown off and eliminated yet. And again, 99.7% of players can no longer be the GOAT by the time they turn 21 years old can't say that about Iga Svantec and I think that's an exciting thing I think we're just gonna start doing this goat status check in who's not not the goat that's way more fun than the goat debate is that something we should do at AL Gruskin if you are entertained by that discussion who do you want an update who are not not the goats right now I do a 10 minute segment on it. I think that'd be pretty good podcasting uh, but again Iga Svantec playing exceptional tennis she's a three set winner over Angelique Kerber didn't serve her best uh, but ultimately found a way for. 6-2, 6-3, your other three-set match on the day at Indian Wells. Veronica Kudermatova, the 21-year-old who, I will be honest, I just cannot wrap my head around what the future of her game looks like. She earns her most impre- uh, the most impressive victory on the day, in my opinion. 7-6, 6-7, 7-5 victory over Marketa Vandrusova. Now, I mentioned all of the breaks of serves in that Kerber uh, match against... Uh, Iga Shviontech. you look for Veronica Kudermatova, she was broken once in her match against, uh, against Marketa Vandrusova, and you look for Marketa Vandrusova, she was broken twice, I believe, in her match against, uh, excuse me, she was broken three times. There were only four breaks of serve in this match. Uh, it, it was a fun one, folks. It was really, really good tennis, and here's the thing for Veronica Kudermatova. She's got weapons. I think you watched that match play. There were times when, again, any moment Marketa Vandrusova would leave a ball short of the service line and not get the proper depth on her shot, even when she, you know, the loopy ball she gets away with. But anything short, Kudermatova punished. And it didn't matter, forehand wing, backhand wing. She used the topspin Vandrusova, provided her to flatten out her own shot, take that ball early on the rise, had the weapons to hit through this court, made 62% of her first serves. And you look for Kudermatova. She currently ranks 22nd amongst top 50 players in hold percentage, currently holding 78.3% of the time, which would be a career high for her. I mean, Kutumatova just keeps pace. She's going to keep firing. She's going to go big early in rallies when she has that opportunity. She's not the biggest person in the world, but she moves really well for someone with the sort of power that she has and can take that ball early on the rise. Hits a flat Earth shot, but certainly can generate topspin. And my and particular on that forehand wing. That said, you look for Veronica Kudermatova. Break percentages over the past four seasons. 35.7. Not bad. That's like right around average amongst top 50 players. The subsequent three years, uh, 2020, 26.4. That ranked 48th. Uh, Last season, 24.6. That ranked 48th amongst top 50 players. This season, 24.1 break percentage that would be 49th amongst the top 50 players it doesn't make sense to me I just don't get why Kudramatova's break percentage is as low as it is I understand she plays aggressively with her return of serve and she goes big on those swings because she is an aggressive baseliner she's trying to end points on her terms fairly quickly I'm not saying she can't grind I'm saying that's not her preferred modem I don't think the backhand's like a particularly hitchy shot, right? Like I I do think she can swing through that ball pretty comfortably. I do think, regardless of the level of the opponent's serve, structurally I see nothing wrong with her backhand return. She can definitely get a little slap happy on the forehand return, and given the bigger backswing, yeah, elite pace, gonna disrupt that forehand return, but that's gonna happen to anyone. She misses a lot of returns, like, I wish I had the return in percentage, I don't have it in front of me, if any of you know how frequently Kudermatova actually lands her return of serve, I think that it might be the biggest source of problem, uh, the biggest problem for her in her return games, but again, I don't think she moves poorly to the plus one ball. She's not the most fluid in the outer thirds, but not because of her movement. It's because she does play one speed and that sp- speed is, again, flat line drives. And so the errors will pile up when you get her stretched. And credit to uh, Marketa Vandrusova, who, you know, played a brutally physical match against Annette Conteve, literally the day before. Uh, and so, you know, again, this is a really tough turnaround for Von Drusseva, who still physically was right there and was playing with the angles, playing with the spins, incorporating the drop shot on the backhand wing, as she does better than anyone in tennis, in my opinion, and making Kudermatova uncomfortable, not letting her sit in the center of the court and swing freely. But when you let Kudermatova sit in the middle of the court and swing freely... Shades of Bencic. Like, that would be my comparison for Veronica Kudermatova. I think there are a lot of similarities in their game. I think Bencic is a bit more decisive. I also think Kudermatova is a bit more fluid as a mover. I think Bencic probably, again, technique-wise, a little bit more action on her ball, but both fairly flat. I like both backhands pretty similarly. I like the way Bencic hits the swinging volley and moves forward better than Kudermatova, but not demonstrably better Kuratova is only 24 years old and again she's been hovering in this 20 to 40 in the ranking range for quite a bit of time now coming into this event she's at a career high number 24 in the rankings and again she's now reached the quarterfinals here of Indian Wells it's crazy if she wins Indian Wells you win freaking Indian Wells she's not going to crack the top 10 of the rankings tells you right now how loaded those rankings are how balanced it is from spot to spot at the top or just how thin the margins are but and how many points they've all accumulated but I don't I think there's another gear to kudermatova I think there's a way to groove out that return because again structurally fundamentally I know it's to ask anyone to change their mindset about anything it's never gonna happen I think it can for Veronica kudermatova there's more there there's something that continues to be able to unlock with that said you know again Matova, your uh, winner here, three sets over Marketa of It was a fantastic match. I guess 7-6, you know, 7-5 in the third set. the only problem was how late it finished on the west coast but again I stayed up and I highly recommend you watch the replay because it was physical tennis you know again it was a contrast of styles there were lengthy you know it's not just one shot for Kudermatova she's a 4-5 shot you know on her own racket sort of finishing points get you side to side with her line drives but Vendrusova extends points and brought out the athleticism in Kudermatova again this was a really fun match a match ultimately that Veronica Kudermatova prevails in, and again just quickly, you look at the Kudermatova stats since the pandemic, uh, you know, since August 2020, which is what I consider where we're still in that prolonged stretch of pandemic era tennis. 53 and 36 for Kudermatova during that stretch of time. That's a 60% win percentage. Now you look for her against opponents ranked outside the top 20. She's 44 and 18. It's hard to argue she's not a top 20 player given that level of success. On the flip side, she's seven and eighteen against non-top 20 opponents. So why and you know, you look at the return percentage, it drops by five percent in terms of return points one. You look at her second serve percentage drops by three percent effectiveness. The first serve is still equally successful. The first serve percentage against top 20 opponents, 54%, is atrocious. And I think in general, her first serve percentage is something that has to improve. And if it, I think it's a low-hanging fruit because she makes like 59% of her first serves this year, 57% for her career average. The average amongst the top 50 players is 61%. There's 4% just to get to average. And that's low-hanging fruit because the serve is something you can always improve. Veronica Kudermetova, this is not a hot take, she will crack the top 20. At some point of her career When is that going to happen? Your guess is as good as mine I suppose she wins a couple of matches If she makes the finals here She will crack the top 20 uh, Which would certainly be progress For the 24 year old So again, uh, that is where uh, things stand Three set win for uh, Matova. You look at your other round of 16 matches And I'll go through these quickly here As we pivot slowly towards the men's action I feel like I spent a lot of time Stressing all the men's action though yesterday So it's nice to get a good balance
0: Com.
1: Simona Halp, 6164 over Serana Curstea. I've talked about this on every show here this week. She looks healthy. She looks fit. If this isn't the prime of her career or near the back half of the prime, age-wise, statistic-wise, eye test-wise, every indication ind- indicates that she still is very close to that prime. And we know that prime is that of a Grand Slam champion. Why can't she win the French Open? Uh, other than if Ashley Barty plays. Who other than Ashley Barty is playing definitively better than Simona Halep right now? You like the weapons of Igui Sviantec a bit better? I agree with you. But Sviantec's played three, three-set matches through her first three battles. Yeah, you know, again, in, in her next matchup, she's got the big hitting Madison Keys. Meanwhile, Simona Halep is going to take on Petra Martic. Very impressive win over Ludmilla Samsonova. 7-6, And given Martic's struggles over the past season, just you know again fell out of the top 25 and you know i just love her creativity the backhand slice the angle she plays her physicality fits so well on these slow indian wells courts over under is two and a half hours in that halep martich match but i think halep ultimately prevails the thing is what does martich do to hurt halep i don't know what the question is there the angles for martich just getting samsonova out of her strike zone stretching her to the outer thirds of the courts outer thirds of the court is where simona halep thrives Um, Meanwhile, again, that Iga-Keys matchup, I'm locked in. That's going to be a fun one, folks, particularly if Keys continues to serve as well as she has Madison Keys' 6-1, 6-4 win over Harriet Dart. So again, the top uh, half of your Indian Wells bracket, Halep taking on Martich, Sviantek taking on Keys. I know Sviantek percentage-wise is the favorite given all the tennis they played. Oh, man, (sighs) who am I picking to advance? I mean, if Madison Keys continues to serve this well, I think she does advance into the final of this Indian Wells. I think she's hitting the ball that big. I'd say Keys won. I mean, the thing is, I've been on the Sviantech bandwagon of she's the favorite forever, but I think Sviantech plays here today. Today's the day. If Keyes gets Sviantech, then I think Sviantech doesn't win this tournament. Otherwise, I'm picking Iga. But man, it's it's going to be a really fun stretch because Halb is playing as well as any of those players. And again, on this surface, don't count out the variety of Petra Martic. That's your top half of the draw. You look elsewhere, really nice win from Paula Bedosa, 6-4, 6-4 over Layla Fernandez when Bedosa got the ball high up on the shoulder of Fernandez because Fernandez inherently I think the most Canadian thing about her is her affinity for indoor, just her game style. And just you look like someone who played a lot of indoor tennis being trapped in the geography of Canada because she takes the ball on the rise and early and inside the baseline so well. And that's just something you have to do more of if you grow up indoors because you're playing on quicker courts and you just have to be able to finish points that much more easily I mean, the difference was, A, Bedosa pulverized the Fernandez second. They both pulverized each other second serves. There were a healthy amount of breaks of serves, particularly in that second set. But A, Bedosa was better in the outer thirds of the court. She moves so well. She anticipates well at the pace she can generate in the outer thirds, just plays really good defensive tennis, and then was willing to step up on the second serve returns and, you know, did a good job of when she played to the Fernandez forehand, getting that ball high on Fernandez and not allowing her to take it on the rise on the short hop, but not allow her to drop through it. Just, you know, again, depth was key for Bedosa, and she kept the depth in the court to prevent Layla Fernandez from sitting on top of that baseline. I was thoroughly impressed by Paula Bedosa in her 4-4 victory over Fernandez, uh, and she's now going to take on Kudermatova. I believe Kudermatova has a 3-0 head-to-head lead in their career matchups, but Certainly is still undefeated in Indian Wells' play. I think we all consider her the favorite at this point. You look beyond that, your bottom half matchup might be my favorite of all the quarterfinals. Even, you know, Iga Keys, that's great. Bedosa Kudermatova, Martic, Halep, but Sakari Rabakina, sign me up. And Rabakina in her 6-2 win over Victoria Golubik because Sakari 4-1 up on Gavrilova. Now Daria Seville, uh, when Seville forced to retire, Sakari's looked great don't need to spend too much more time on her and she's getting the results she needs. She has consolidated a top 10 position, folks. Even perhaps if she only goes fourth round instead of backing up her semifinals at Roland Garros, that's how good she's been to start the season. Uh, But Elena Rabakina, who's, you know, who talked publicly in the press, she had COVID. It very much adversely affected her. She's healthy now. She's feeling comfortable on court again. When she's on her front foot, playing power tennis, moving well, You just see a number one player in the world someday, just someone who will hit you off the court, and with her length and sneaky good movement, you know, again, just at any moment can pull the trigger, go big down the line, go big cross, hit the big serve, win free points. Now she gets a little aggressive on that return of serve, but again, structurally, I see nothing wrong with it. I see a player who's only gonna continue to get better She's got the physical test tomorrow, right? Against Soccery, who's gonna force her to make the extra ball, who's gonna incorporate some discipline, some different spins, different paces, try to work her own way to the net behind a plus one ball and force Rabakana to, you know, again, play some defensive tennis. It's a really fun matchup. But it's no longer a hot take if you just watch Elena Rabakina play. If she's healthy, she's going to be a top 10 player at some point in her career, and I really do think she can do it as soon as this season. That's how impressed I am by the power tennis she plays. But again, your quarterfinal matchups, I don't give you the tennis abstract odds here. Halep, 82% favorite over Martic Svantec, 72% favorite over Keys, Bedosa, 67% favorite over Kudermatova. And then Sakari, a 62% favorite over Elena Rabakina. Those where is, That is where, excuse me, things stand right now on the women's side of Indian Wells. Let's flip gears now, though, and talk about the men's action that's unfolded. And again, it was the back half of the third round yesterday. Only one three-set match on the men's side. I do want to talk about Taylor Fritz's three-set victory, though. Over Naomi Munar, you look for Fritz was a 6-4, 2-6, 7-6 victory for the American I mean, Fritz has put together, you know, we said it at the start of the season, right? The uh, least hot, hot take that, you know, everyone was gonna say uh, coming into the year, everyone's prediction for 2021 is, I bet Taylor Fritz is gonna make the first Grand Slam second week of his career, to which I would always say, yeah, I think we all agree. Taylor Fritz is gonna make the first, second week at a Grand Slam of his career this season. And guess what? He did it right away. It makes the second week of the Australian Open, knocks out Tiafo, Bautista, Agut on his way to that five-set loss to Stefano Pass, Of course, you look for Taylor Fritz, perhaps most remarkably, the fact that he got knee surgery between the French Open, Indian Wells last year. You look for him. Again, the results he's put forward during this stretch of time. Semifinals in Los Cabos loses to Cam Norrie. Semifinals in Atlanta loses to John Isner. Third round Wimbledon. Forset loss to Alex Virov I've now had a tough stretch between Washington and the City Open was part of the, you know, beats uh, Alex Diemenauer, the number 14 seed at the U.S. Open last year, and then he goes into that matchup with Jensen Brooksby, but was another victim of the Brooksby experience. Still, no shame in that Brooksby loss. It certainly aged well. No shame in a second-round loss to Shapovalov in San Diego. Of course, then he goes semifinals in Dean Wells, where he beats Zira, beats Sinner, beats Berrettini, even a good first-round win over Nakashima before getting knocked out by Basilashvili. Makes the finals in St. Petersburg indoors uh, before getting knocked out three sets by Marin Cilic quarterfinals where he beats Nori beats Rublev indoors in Paris before getting knocked out by Novak Djokovic then of course again the culmination of it all the first second week at a grand slam at this year's Australian Open I don't know what else to tell you again you look since Indian Wells of last year which is when he made that first master semi-final and that's probably the signature run of Taylor Fritz's career thus far The guy has just been freaking lights out. You look for him overall, 23-8 and overall during this stretch of time. That's obviously pretty impressive. 74% win percentage. He's holding serve 84.6% of the time. That's, you know, a top 25 number. He's breaking serve 25.9% of the time. That's a top 25 number. He looks more and more comfortable physically. And of course, on a slow hard court, now you're playing Taylor Fritz's game. That's exactly where Taylor Fritz wants to be. And just, you know, you can see the confidence building. And now he's got a serious test here today. And I won't lie, I'm recording this as Demon Hour and Fritz are going out on court. And so, you know, I don't want to give any spoilers on how that match is going to go or however it may be. And kid, just depending on how you, when you're going to all listen to this. Um, but. First all have the biggest weapons on the court. His serve's a bigger weapon. His forehand's the biggest weapon. Backhand's a bigger weapon. Now again, Demon Hour's the better mover. I think Demon Hour's the better vollier and until Taylor Fritz you know I think the moment Taylor Fritz becomes comfortable as a volleyer I think it's over for the I don't want to say it's over that's definitely too hyperbolic but I think he takes another jump in the rankings I think his results take another jump because you saw today against Tommy moon are and again in this matchup for Fritz three set victory for Taylor Fritz three six six four seven six you know he had the big weapons. He made 68% of his first serves, won 70% of his first serve points, was up a break in that third set. Now, he seeded the break back, but if you looked for Munar in each of his service games down the home stretch of that third set, Taylor Fritz had break point chances or worked his way into the third set You know, again, Fritz just keeps swinging and he's so confident in his ground strokes that, you know, he's willing to grind, play the 10, 15, 20 shot rallies. He's willing to be patient now and wait for you to offer him a short ball before fully turning from the baseline, whether it's forehand to backhand wing, because he's more comfortable as a mover now. Of course, you know, again, when he turns into that inside in forehand from the outside of the court, that that can be an elite weapon backhand down the line so comfortable hitting it can hit the backhand cross court short angle or with depth and just you know again one of the more natural service motions you will any ever see of any player out there on tour can hit the kick can hit the slice can hit the flat fritz has a lot of skills at his disposal particularly from the baseline the question has always been athleticism and can he improve at the net and he has slowly but surely gotten better and better at all of those things. Again, he's twenty three and eight now, uh, since the start of Indian Wells last season, and it hasn't been a cupcake schedule either. Two Indian Wells, an ATP Cup, you know, an Australian Open, a Paris Masters, and yet this is the reason Taylor Fritz has cracked the top twenty, and this is the reason we now have he and Opelka both into the top twenty of the ATP rankings. It's because they both continue to get better and better at every little aspect of their game. Even the things they were already good at and so you know again for fritz it's yeah i've always been able to hit the big ball big but now i can bring the physicality into my game and you know and play patient enough tennis to uh be that much more prepared to have success and you know and again that much more success in the rally credit to taylor fritz again the guy has just been absolutely sensational three-set victory your only three-set victory on the day at Indian Wells on the men's side of course still plenty of fun matches uh, on the men's side for us to discuss here on today's show and that's what I want to do now to wrap up this podcast you look at our other round three results all of them in straight sets still plenty of good ones certainly for Mimir Amir Kasmenovic 7-6-7-5 over Botik Vondesen Skulp. What's the game plan to beat Kesmenovich? What do you do? You know, what's the weakness you've identified to go after? It used to be the the serve. The first serve and the second serve were just extraordinarily attackable. He was bottom five amongst top 50 players in hold percentage, even when he was cracking the top 50 back at the end of 2018 and throughout 2019, even when he was playing his best ball and had prior, you know, the prior time he had reached the round of 16 in Indian Wells, that serve was still attackable. It was how well he was hitting the return of serve physically just Again, how solid he is off both ground strokes. Well, I mentioned this before, the serve's still not elite. But it's working its way towards average, and given how exceptional he is as a returner and how complete his skill set is, that the first serve is now more of a weapon, that he's holding about 82% of the time, which is a little below the top 50 average, but only a little below. He's gone from, you know, would be 47th amongst top 50 players to now he's 36th amongst top 50 players. That's a significant improvement. And he's striking the ball so confidently on his return of serve, getting such great depth, even if it's a block serve on the forehand side. I think he swings so fluidly and compactly and comfortably on that backhand wing. And then, you know, again, could get some serious action on that forehand. Now, it can get a little hitchy and it can be exposed by elite pace, but you could say that about just about anyone. And what was so impressive for Kasmanovic is, you know, Vanderson scope is not a guy who overwhelms you with elite pace he's going to play angles and make you uncomfortable and play slices force you to hit from you know no man's land on the court and Kasmanovic was fine with it great footwork disciplined match from start to finish really good result for Kasmanovic who now uh, is going to match up with Matteo Berrettini Berrettini down a break in the second set gets it back when Lloyd Harris is serving for the set up five four ultimately for Berrettini four and five victory big serves big forehands. The footwork to find the forehand in the ad corner will always be impressive. He does get better at driving through that backhand wing as well. Lloyd Harris has the framework of someone who should be so good at tennis. 6'6", fluid, massive first serve, comfortable on both wings, and yet still working to put all the pieces together. A little robotic at times for Harris. Again, you just feel like, yeah, plan A can be very good at times, but B, C, and D... You know again when things break down to improvisational skills what's he going to do to get himself back in an advantageous position i think that's something he continues to look for and so often his his solution is to fall back behind the baseline and go six feet behind there and use his exceptional combination of fluidity and strength to get away with things that's just not going to work when you're playing a barrettini and at the highest level of the game and again 30 number 30 seed at indian wells top 35 player in the world nothing to bat your nose at the guy has built himself a career we all aspire towards if you've ever played the game of tennis but if you're asking me what does he do to take that next step it's the flu it's just again the improvisational skill it's more and more match play and working on the defense and making himself uncomfortable because we know what the offense looks like and obviously maximizing those opportunities taking the return of serve even earlier and even further inside the baseline a solution for him certainly but you know Improvisational skills, some people got it, some people don't. And I just do wonder for Lloyd Harris, we know the offense he can play, but what sort of defense, how good can his defense get? That's the question, excuse me, as we move forward uh, throughout his career. But good match from Berrettini, straight set victory. I talked about Fritz. He's now going to match up with Demon Hour. Demon Hour, Tommy Paul. (sighs) I talked so much about Tommy with David Kane. I think I even talked about him a little bit yesterday as well. Credit to the Demon, who I tweeted this out, has played really good ball since the end of last season, start of this year, to the point now I think he's 11-4, 12-4, whatever it is, over his past couple of tournaments. It's worth asking, is the Demon back? But if Tommy Paul breaks in the 1-0 service game, and 1-0 first set, goes to 8 deuces, Tommy has 5 breakpoint chances, unable to convert any of them, was up 15-40 in the game, If Tommy breaks, it's a different match. Like, it really is, because I think there's only one break of serve in it, in Demon Hour, 6-4 and victory. And, you know, again, the snap on Tommy's forehand now, his willingness to go big more frequently and the consistency with which he can do it. Tommy's ready to be a top 30 player, and he's got the athleticism and skill set to be even better than that. Demon Hour just... He's a survivor. Like, again, if you could give Lloyd Harris Demon Hour speed and instinctual skills... That player is the number one player in the world, and I don't think it's particularly close. I was, you know, again, Fritz, Hour, I had that same thought for. Like, man, if you just merge them, how quickly does that guy ascend to number one in the world? Hour's speed, but Fritz's ground strokes and serve, and Hour's ability to use his speed to move forward, and his hands at the net, like, ah, would that player be exceptional? Um, but you know, again, Hour just absorbed so many first strikes of Tommy. Whenever Tommy would leave a ball short, Hour just flattens out that forehand, uses his speed to take it on the rise, moves forward behind it. He is, the best skill of his that isn't overly appreciated. I hate to say that no one is talking about, but the best skills of his that, you know, again, doesn't jump out to you right away is just his ability to move forward and his comfort level as a volleyer and just, you know, again, being aggressive in that first set tiebreaker, uh, taking opportunities whenever he could to take his backhand down the line or play that forehand early on the rise and flatten it out, play just enough offense and then his patented defense to knock off Tommy Paul. And now, again, two really fun contrasts of styles, Berrettini, Kestmenovic, Fritz Diemenauer, Beyond that, Andre Rublev down a break to love to Francis Tiafo, but there's just a physicality now that Rublev's playing with and career high right now for him, hold percentage, I believe it's eighty six point one percent. The break percentage is back over twenty eight percent, which is second highest of his career, second only to that twenty twenty season. Uh yeah, Rublev's just playing great ball. He's won eleven straight matches, no disrespect to Francis, who I thought fought well, but Rublev can match your physicality now, and he's going to find enough forehands, and that's a problem for the rest of the tour. So I thought he's played great. It's going to be a fun matchup between he and Hubie hercotts Hercats, 7-6-6-3 over Stevie J. Stevie was right there. He had his chances in that first set, and this is a perfect surface for him because he has that much more time to find the forehands. You know, he snaps off a ball as well as anyone, and with the action on his ball, it, you know, it rips through and jumps up on you on these Indian Wild courts in ways few other players do, but Hoopy's size, just moving forward, the athleticism, the fluidity, guy's a stud. Um, and again, it's for him, can do B, C, and D well. What is plan A? Well, yesterday was serving, moving forward, finding the Stevie backhand, not letting him get into his forehand patterns. That was a very fun match. Of course, Hoopy Hercats' coach, the former coach of Steve Johnson, you could tell Hercats knew precisely what to execute throughout the course of that match. And then, you know, last but certainly not least, two matches I wouldn't say I fully locked in on, but certainly saw enough of Isner five and three over Schwartzman. His kick serve on this surface, particularly against Schwartzman, that's just a ridiculous matchup. And hey, you give the big man a little bit more time. He is a grinder at heart, uh, despite you know being seven foot tall. So. John Isner, uh, I thought, just played a good match. It was really tough for Schwartzman to hurt him throughout the course of it. He was hitting the return of serve confidently because these courts punish a slow serve but reward a high kick. It was just perfect conditions for Isner, and he made the most of them, 5-3. and three. And then, you know, for Dimitrov, 3-4 and four over Bublik. Did a great job taking that return early on the wise. I thought hit his one-handed backhand so well throughout the course of the match. Good win for Grigor over Bublik, three and four. Now he's going to match up with Isner. And again, here on Wednesday, all of your round of 16 matches being played on the men's side. Sinner out of the tournament. Hopefully it's just an illness and not an injury as he's got finals points to defend in Miami. But Kyrgios advances to your quarterfinals. Awaiting him will be the winner of Opelka Nadal. You've got uh, Opelka Nadal, excuse me, a 71% favorite. Cam Nori versus Brooksby. Nori a 55% favorite. Alcarez, a 68%. Favorite over Gael Monfiz, uh, Taylor Fritz, bear, uh, the slight favorite over Demon Hour, 55%, Baratini, 71% over Kasmanovic, Rublev, 65% over Hercots, Grigor, uh, 55% over John Isner. That one is interesting to me. Uh, But overall, it's going to be a really fun Wednesday of action. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap it all. I will try and secure a guest, as I'm sure all of you listeners are sick and tired of hearing my voice uninterrupted. But of course, as always, if you'd like to hear more about what's happening throughout the tennis world, rest assured, we have you covered here at Crack Rackets. All things college tennis covered on our Great Shot podcast feed, Deciding Point episodes. Wednesday night here, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We'll recap all the Division I women's action tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We'll talk about the men. You can find those as podcasts the next day on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, or you can watch them live uh, on our Crack Rackets Great Shot podcast feed, or you can watch them live on our YouTube channel. Of course, as always, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, Podcast Feed, our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss any of our college tennis broadcasts. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at AL Gruskin. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is C-R-15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.